Bibles, turn with me to, we'll start in uh, James chapter 5, uh, verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. Again, last Thursday, I was uh, preaching at Rio, Rio but, uh Pentecostal Church down in East State Street, Trenton. Uh, we had a good time there, and while we were doing that there, well, <laughs> that's another story to that. But anyway, I was there, and you all were here, and we had a great Bible study teacher, and um, Brother Hasker did well. And Sister Hasker was backing him up, so go ahead, Sister Hasker, back him up. I think at, at, for the little bit of time I was here listening, um, a couple of times I feel like she wanted to come up and do her part too. <laughs> Did you feel that too, Brother Hasker? Like she wanted to slide up and say, well, let me explain that part. <laughs> I said, yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. I pray for them because they have a mission that the Lord will send them on. And, um, you know, I, I want to do everything I can to help them be prepared and be ready for what the Lord wants to do in their life. So pray for them that God will just equip them and we will um, just be uh, mindful of what God is doing so we can work with them. James chapter 5, verse number 7. Amen. The Bible says in verse number 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and had long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So we'll talk a little bit tonight about the coming of the Lord in some respect. But the reason why we're going to talk about the coming of the Lord is because really... We've entitled the uh, teaching tonight, Patient Endurance. Patient Endurance. This message couldn't come at a better time for me. I don't know about you, but uh, lately I've been feeling a little bit more agitated that we need our building. And so this is probably the first time I've felt a little agitated since, um, you know, we've been in this building that God, what's going on here? You know what's going on. You know what we need. And I'm going back and forth. And every day I'm looking at him like, you know, you know, when dogs are hungry and, and, and you have food and they sitting by your feet or at your table and just waiting for you to feed them and they're hungry. That's how I look at the Lord these days. Like, Lord, I'm hungry. Are you, are you going to work with us on this? And I know he is, but it's just the way we are. But in my Bible studies, I've been teaching about... Um, Sarai and Abram not waiting on the Lord and now we have Bible study talking about patient endurance so the Lord know how to put us back in check when we get a little out of check and so here we go patient endurance is what we're going to talk about tonight and we're trying to reflect the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ and so one of those things that uh, one of those characteristics that will help us reflect who he is in this earth um, so people can know him is by having patience, patient endurance. Uh, A woman in a church once approached her pastor and said, Pastor, please pray for me that God will give me patience. The pastor placed his hand on her head and began to pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will send this woman tribulation. Oh, no, 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 Pastor. I didn't say pray for tribulation. I said pray for me to have 
patience. <laughs> the pastor responded, but sister, the Bible says tribulation works patience. So if you want patience, you're going to have to go through tribulation. <laughs> oh, help us, Lord. And so we all are going to need patience. So we all are going to go through tribulation. We don't like to go through tribulation. No, we want it all to work good. But the, 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 the more I live for God, the more I learn to embrace some things. And one of the things I embraced that I didn't want to embrace uh, when I was living for God years ago is understanding that uh, you need some tribulation to toughen you up. Uh, God not raising no punks. God not raising no softy children. He raised in strong children. And the way you're going to be a strong child of God is for some things to happen to you and you handle it the way you need to handle it. Listen, there are scriptures that, that, that points out to us that it's not always going to be easy and God is not always going to rescue us. He didn't rescue the three Hebrew boys. No, he left them, let them walk through the fire. He walked through the fire with them and so it was all good because he was with them, right? He didn't rescue Daniel from the lion's den. He let Daniel sit in the lion's den, but he allowed the lion to not be hungry at that time, right? And so there are times where uh, we would just have to deal with tribulation. We're not going to, uh, God is not going to deliver us from it. And then the final thing I looked at was the life of Christ while he was here on the earth. I realized that there were things that he in his flesh say, if this cup could pass from me, and the cup didn't pass. So it's clear to us that we need to embrace tribulation because it's going to teach us, teach us patience. It's going to strengthen us. It's going to uh, help us to depend on the Lord more than ever th th than we ever depended on him. And so uh, not all, you heard me said this the other, this has been something that's been really weighing on my heart heavy lately, and I've been saying it. And here's what I've been saying, that when you're going through challenges and struggles, but God is getting glory out of it, don't try to change it. You hear me? When you're going through struggles, when you're going through challenges, but God is getting glory from it, then don't try to change it. And you say, well, what does that mean, preacher? How, do you, how can you say that? And, and there are many ways to, 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 to look at that. But just look at your life and say, okay, um, I'm challenging this area. I'm challenging that area. But, 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 you know, here, here is something. Let me, let me mention this to you that you don't understand. We like to hide stuff. And so we don't like to let people know, yes, I'm having a struggle with this. And, and the Bible says, confess your faults, not your sins. Your faults one to another. And I understand why you do that. Why? Because when you do that and you keep on going and pressing and keep on living for God and keep trusting God, you are being a living testimony and giving glory to God. But if when you go through something, you fold up and you don't make it through, then guess what? You don't bring glory to God. And so sometimes God allows some things to come your way. He didn't start the stuff. He didn't do the stuff. He allowed the stuff to come your way because God can cut off the stuff right in the path that is coming. He can stop it, but he allow it at times. 
And he allowed at times for two things. It's going to strengthen you, but it's going to encourage somebody else. And so when someone is struggling and they can't come to church as consistent, and every time they show up, you there, and they know your situation, what do you think that's going to do for them? They're going to say, my goodness, in all that she's dealing with, she comes and she worships the Lord and she loves people and she's always encouraging people and all she's going through, you know what that does for someone else? So when you find yourself in a situation like that where uh, you're struggling and you're going through things but you're still just honoring God and living for God and doing the things of God, you don't have to tell God remove this. You don't have to tell God don't do this because guess why? Somebody is being blessed and being benefited and God is getting the glory. That's just one example. But there's many examples that you have to start looking at your life and say, with this situation going on, how does this give God glory? How does this uh, benefit or influence or inspire someone else? Because, because we, we don't, we don't want to live our life to encourage me. We want to live our life. We want everything to be good for us. And we never stop to think, why can't I suffer a little bit so somebody else can gain? That's Christianity. There are times, it's not going to be every time, but it's going to be times and seasons in your life where you're going to be struggling, but somebody else will benefit from that. And so the Holy Ghost is helping me, um, because here's an example that I couldn't think of, but the Holy Ghost just gave me this example. A pregnant woman. You tell me you didn't struggle, mother. You could barely breathe because you had to breathe for you and the baby. Mm-hmm. That was a struggle. But guess what? Somebody else was benefiting from that. Oh, come on, Holy Ghost. Somebody else was benefiting from you struggling. You can't really climb the stairs because you're out of breath. But somebody else was benefiting. So you keep going. Somebody say amen. And so we, we, we have to develop strength and patience, and that will come through tribulation, through hard times. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 and 44, the word of the Lord says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 44, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So here's the truth. We don't know when God is coming. And you can think he's not coming all you want, but he's coming. And the, and, and the moment you start thinking that you can relax because maybe the Lord won't come until this time, that could be the hour that he comes. So we have to be on guard watching for the appearing of the Lord. Matthew 25, let's work with this text tonight. This text will teach us a lot about waiting patiently. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, meaning took their lamps but didn't take any extra oil. They just took the lamp with just the 
amount of oil that was in the lamp. But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamp. So the wise ones, they took the lamp with them, which had oil in it, and they had an extra container of oil. So that's what the wise did. Not so for the fools or the foolish. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Hmm. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's a whole mouthful and some that we just read about. So let's take our time and go through it and look at that parable of what it's trying to tell us. To grasp the significance of this warning, we need to have some familiarity with ancient Jewish marriage customs. So we'll learn something about the ancient Jewish marriage customs. Marriage customs among ancient Jews differed dramatically from customs in today's English-speaking Western world. To underline the point of this lesson, the importance of patient endurance, those ancient customs extended the time frame of the marriage beyond what is often the case in our society today. Marriage celebration often lasted one week. So the difference, right off, right off the bat, one of the differences, when someone was getting married, Sister Hasker, Brother Hasker, since you all are the most recent to get married, when someone was getting married, you all got married in a couple hours um, at a spot. You know, 11 to 2 o'clock we were done. So that was about three hours. No, 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 no. The ancient Jewish customs was a whole week. Can you imagine? A whole entire week. So get that in our mind. That's how they celebrated marriage. Listen, the groom would make a marriage contract with the girl's father as the first step towards marriage back in the ancient Jewish customs. So the first thing that would happen when, when someone, when a guy decided he wanted to marry a girl, Brother Haskell would have to go to your family and make a contract with them. Mm-hmm. That's more powerful than engagement. In English, today, it is generally accepted that the first step towards marriage is engagement. Back then, they call it betrothal. It wasn't an engagement. It was a contract that was signed. For the Jewish custom, the betrothal was more binding than an engagement was. 
for the first step for marriage. In the ancient Near East, the ancient Near East refers to early, early civilizations in a region roughly corresponding to the modern Middle East. So when you hear ancient Near East, the, um, the, the today's Middle Eastern uh, countries is what it's being referred to. So uh, like, for instance, when you read in the Bible, Mesopotamia, um, that, that the back then it was called Mesopotamia. Today it's Iraq and Syria. Um, when you read about Anatolia, you're talking about Turkey today. And, you know, when you talk about the Levant, you're talking about Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, all of that kind of stuff. And so those are the, um, the those are when you hear about the, um, the, the ancient or the Far East is talking about the Middle East today. So. That's how they did it. That's that that what that was the custom for them. So, uh, a young man's parents selected his wife to be during those times and from those places. Sometimes, however, he made the choice. Then the contract. The parable of the wise and the foolish virgins does not indicate how the choice of the bride was made, regardless of the manner in which the bride was chosen. Here's the next step. Three gifts, after the contract is signed, three gifts were commonly exchanged. First, the mohar, which is a payment that could be gold coin or something like that. It was a payment, a compensation gift from the bridegroom to the family of the bride. And it sealed the covenant of that contract that was uh, written, that bound the two families together. Second, the dowry. <laughs> dowry. Um, second dowry was um, gift given to um, again the bride um, from the um, the family of the uh, of the groom, and so you have that. The third was the bridegroom's gift to the bride. So there was three different gifts. Man, I'm telling you, you probably, women probably wanted to get married back then because they took care of them. But um, th those are the three gifts that were given once the contract was signed. The groom, this is this now this is good. The groom then returned to his home and spent as much as one year preparing a place for the bride. So when the contract is signed, I want to marry your daughter, Miss So and so, and Miss So and so and and her husband said, Okay, then what happens is there's a contract. Once the contract is signed, then now there are gifts that's given, and after that's done, now the next move is the groom have to go back to where they're gonna live, and for one year he has to prepare that home where they're gonna live until after that year, that's when he comes back. So for one year he goes away. Usually that's how long it takes before they actually have the wedding um, ceremony, that one week long wedding ceremony. And so there is that's the period um, of betrothal. So when 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 he says he betrothed her, that was he did his stuff, and that's the one year period. So now she's really taken for that one year. She can't do anything. She is she belongs to that man. This is the central point of our parable. But while the bridegroom was delay, hmm, they all slumbered and slept. The problem here was not the slumbering and sleeping. This was to be expected. It is not a rebuke, merely an observation. The wise slept as did the foolish. They did not know when the bridegroom would come. The typical time period between 
the betrothal and the arrival of the bridegroom to claim his bride would certainly require sleep. <laughs> the wisdom of five of the virgins is seen in their decision to take extra oil in case the lamps burn out before the bridegroom arrived. The foolish virgins assumed no extra oil would be needed. Help us now. The point of the parable is found in its final verse. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. So if you don't know when he's coming, how are you going to just say this should be good? We got to start thinking about this. Uh, one of the biggest challenging conversations we have in Christendom is some people feel like this is enough and others feel like I need to do more. Who's right? And I always err on the side of saying this is the idea. I always err on the side of no parent. And also, God will never say to you, man, you just went overboard and did so much more than I wanted. Well, I, no, you, you did too much. That, that wasn't good. We, 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 God will never tell us we, we went overboard and that was too much. But we can come up short and not do enough. We can come up short and not do enough. And you know how we justify God is a loving God. God... Can, can, we, can we learn this and, and, and not let go of this? God don't respond to what you think and what you need. God don't respond to what you think and what you need. God responds to faith. Go in scripture. You can go search out the word of God. For every person that he healed, did he walk by and says, I think I'm going to heal you. Did you read that? Did he walk past the blind man? Did he walk past the lame man? Did he walk past somebody? Hey, you, come here. Let me heal you. Or did they cry out to him and say, Lord, by them crying out, they're demonstrating faith. It wasn't the need. It's them understanding that he can and he is able. And so they called on him. That's how they demonstrated faith. So God is not worried about your need and all this. No, God is deaf because the, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. So if he just deal with your need, you will never have faith. You'll walk around with needs. Oh, God knows my needs, so he'll take care of it. And God will say, but you will never be saved. So God can take care of all your needs and you'll never get to heaven. He can do everything you want him to do, and you'll never get to heaven because you got to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So if you want to live by God will take care of my needs, go ahead. He can take care of those needs, but you'll miss out on heaven because you're not living by faith. You're just living just wanting God to take care of this and wanting God to take care of that. And God is saying, I need you to live by faith. Faith is the currency that you you use to activate the power of God. Faith, not your need. Do God know you have need? Yes. But you need to know you have the need. The wise virgins were prepared to patiently endure. The foolish virgins were not. Their lack of preparation indicates a lack of patience. Surely the bridegroom will come before our lamps run out of oil. Or will it? 
So we have to start asking ourselves, do I have enough oil while I'm waiting for Jesus? Do I have enough to keep me while I'm waiting for Jesus? And can I tell you tonight, none of us have enough. We have to go to him every day and keep on getting oiled up so we can be prepared for his return. None of us have enough. And if we think that it's enough to just come to church and get a little bit and we good, we're going to be like the foolish versions. We're going to run out, and when the time comes, we're going to be like, oh, my goodness, what happened? Mm-hmm. The groom came back to consummate the marriage. The ten virgins function in a role similar to the bridesmaids in a marriage, in a wedding ceremony. In this parable, they do not represent the bride. They were to, they were to accompany the bridegroom who had his own male companion to the wedding. One of the bridegroom's companion, the friend of the bridegroom, served in somewhat the role of today's best man. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the bridegroom. Somebody say Jesus is the bridegroom. It is clear in the parable that the bridegroom represents the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in, this, in his second coming. Before the coming of Christ, fasting was associated with mourning. In the era of the church, fasting is practiced when seeking divine direction. When you want divine direction from God, you've got to fast and pray. And we have evidence of that in Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When you need direction, you need to fast and pray. Why do you need to fast and pray when you need direction? Well, because when you begin to fast, you become sensitive to what God is doing. When you're not fasting, you're not as sensitive to what God is doing. When you fast, what you're trying to do is diminish the influence of your flesh. When you go without food, you're diminishing the influence of your 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 emotions and your flesh. Uh, but when you fast and you do without and the flesh is being punished, then guess what? You are now more sensitive to the Spirit of God, to what God is trying to influence you to do. And that's why we fast when we need direction, because if we don't have direction, then what are we gonna where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? So we fast and pray when we need direction. Mhm. 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 The church is the bride. Yes. If Jesus is the bridegroom, who is his bride? It is the church. Now, that's good and bad. Because in case we don't know, the marriage ceremony has not taken place yet. So when we get saved, we're not married yet. We're betrothed. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. After, the Apostle Paul says, after addressing proper relationships between husband and wives, Paul wrote this. This is great. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage represents the relationship between Christ and his church. This is further seen in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. Look what 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 says. For I am jealous for you with 
godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We are not yet married to him. We are betrothed to him. And so now we are we, we are in a binding covenant, a binding agreement, but the ceremony hasn't taken place yet. Because he's showing us how that, that ancient marriage ceremony, how it's structured, how those people get married. He's, he's going through the whole thing to, to show us how it worked. And so we study that, we will kind of know where we are in the process as the church. Mm-hmm. An abundance of biblical evidence identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. That's in John 1, 29, John 1, 36, Acts 8, 32, 1 Peter 1, 19, Revelations 21, 14, Revelation 21, 22, Revelation 21, uh, 22, verse 1, Revelation 22, verse 3. A lot of scriptures there, sorry. Thus the marriage of the Lamb whose wife, has made herself ready, refers to the consummation of the relationship between Christ and his church. If you look in Revelations 19 and 7, you will see that there's coming a day where the wedding ceremony will take place. Scripture draws towards its, con- towards its conclusion with the descent of New Jerusalem prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In the midst of the vision, an angel said to John, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. That's Revelations 21 and 9. Then John was carried away in the spirit, indicating the visionary nature of this experience where he was shown the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. But this is not the last reference to the bride. Just five verses from the end of written revelation, we read, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desire, let him take the water of life freely. Revelations twenty-two seventeen. So as time concludes and eternity is introduced, the bride of Christ, the church, joins with the Holy One of Israel in an invitation to salvation. I know we say a lot of times when we're born again that we're saved, but we use that term loosely because we know we're not saved until the end. We're living a saved life when we obey the scriptures to repent of our sins, to be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and living holy and righteously. We are living a saved life, but we're not saved yet. Because we are betrothed to him. We are his, 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 uh, his fiance, if you will. <laughs> That's just what the term that we will use here. We, we are in a covenant with him, but we have not yet consummated the marriage. And so while we're here in earth and we're saying we're the church, uh, we are preparing for his return. And we are the bride. And if we're going to be foolish, we're not going to be prepared. And just like we've read with those bridegrooms not having the extra oil uh, to be ready for when the bride return. Uh, then the bridegroom returned, and we're going to be in trouble as well. 
So that's where we are right now. We are preparing ourselves for that marriage ceremony to Christ. We are not yet married to him, so we can't say we're saved. We're living a saved life. So for everybody that thinks that it's it's all finished and done with, we're just good, we're just going through the motions, waiting. Oh, no. We need to look back at those foolish versions that were going through the motion. They went through the motion just having their lamps that, hey, there should be enough oil. They they, they probably thinking like some of us think, God loves me. He is going to come back before my oil run out. How you know? And also, that is not faith. This is, this is, that's a really, that, that's, that, that's a big controversy that, that uh, we got to get people to understand. And it's something that I think whenever you get a chance to talk about, you need to talk about, tell people, God respond to faith, not your need. Because if you, if you don't tell people that, it's going to let them stay where they are and think they're okay. The virgin, the foolish virgin, they just thought, He's a good God. He knows we love him. He's not going to let us be here even though he knows that, you know, we ran out of oil. He's not going to leave us here, will he? How can he just leave us? That God is a good God. God is a loving God. Why would he just leave us? That's what we think. But we have scripture that says, if you are not living by faith, oh, you will be left. You want another one? In in, 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 in in Genesis, when he told Noah to build the ark, the people that lived by faith, they helped with the building of the ark. They went in the ark when it was time to go in. They believed. That was living by faith. And then all those people, pregnant women and all, grandmothers and all, babies and all. Because we don't like to think, we want to think this thing in our mind. Oh, God is so good. There's no way. Well, I'm telling you, when the ark was shut and no man could open it, babies were left behind, pregnant women were left behind, old people were left behind, young people were left behind. They were left behind because God responds to faith and not need. If he did respond to need, he would have never let no old lady perish in that flood. So we got to get that through our brains as we try to encourage and love people into living for God. That God is not, because you have a need, that don't mean God's going to respond. So, so here's another thing. So just like on Sundays, we're teaching and preaching, and then I said, come to the altar. And you stay where you are. You know what that means? All right, thank you, Sister Riego. She said it. Y'all just didn't hear her. She said, no faith. And so you're sitting in your seat with a great need. And you're saying, God is a good God. He knows I had this really bad back pain. Or he knows I got this really bad situation going on at home. And you stay right here. But God knows. And God says, I don't respond to your need. And you're not going to control me because I'm God. I'm not responding to your need. I respond to your faith. And so when you go up, you're not worrying. We, we got to stop worrying about the preacher and people and how people think about us. God is saying to you, listen, even the preacher don't have anything to do with when I call, when he calls you up front. This is all about you and me. And we make it about us and people. You come to church, it's not about you and the people. Forget about them. As a matter of 
matter of fact, you better start thinking about that same, uh, the, the text we just read, the wise and the foolish. The wise who brought extra oil was the one that went to the altar. And so the wise got their oil and went to go meet the bride and got out of their place and went to go. And the foolish one was like, hey, wait for us. Give us some of your oil. The people that exercise faith is going to be blessed. And the ones that don't, they're going to say, can we get some of your stuff? I'm out of there. It's not even that I don't want to give you some of my stuff. I want to, but I'm moving on. I'm in a different realm. I'm in a different dimension now because I'm moving with God. So we have to become people of faith and start to respond to to the Lord Jesus out of faith and not out of need. God knows everybody's need. Why isn't he meeting everybody's need today? He knows the need we all have. There are children starving today. Why God don't let food fall out the sky like he did why isn't he letting food fall out the sky to feed those hungry people in all these foreign countries? This is why everybody want to say, I'm not living for no God. He can't be no real God because how can people be starving? How can people do this to people? Because God responds to faith. This is why it's happening. So until they decide to have faith and look to Jesus, because when you start having faith, you stop committing all these crimes. You don't commit crimes when you have faith. Your faith say, whatever my situation is, God's going to help me, so let me look to him. Let me go to him so I won't do these things. I won't even think about those things because I'm looking to God. So it's not need that God responds to. It's faith that God responds to. That's why we have problems. Because everybody wants God to do what he needs to do so they can be all right. And God is saying, I see what you need, but until you know that you need it, and I'm the only one that can provide it, and you're going to do something about it until you recognize that I can't do nothing for you. That's the way God operates. And guess what? He's all-knowing, and he shows us agape love at all times. So you can't debate with that. Between his all-knowing and his love, whatever he's doing or not doing, you can't debate with that. Because you're not all-knowing and you don't have agape love. None of us possess agape love except for when we receive the Holy Ghost. When we receive the Holy Ghost, uh, that's when we have the potential to love the way Jesus loved. But other than that, you can't love the way he loves. He says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And so the only way we can ever demonstrate the love he demonstrates is by him living in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So with the spirit of God living in you, that's when you can demonstrate the love of God. You can't demonstrate it no other way. So he's all loving and he's all knowing. Why ain't he feeding these hungry people? He can't break his laws. And he responds to faith. How does all of this reading that we've read about with the the, the 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 foolish and the wise virgins. Let me think about that. Patient endurance is necessary. Um, let's see here. In James chapter five, verse seven. Therefore, be patient, brethren. We read that earlier. Until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's James 5, verse 7 through 8. James reminded his readers that a farmer, after planting his seed, patiently waits for it to grow and produce. When we plant the seed naturally for crops to grow, we plant it understanding that it's not going to grow tomorrow. It might not grow for another 30 days. But we have patience to know I did my part. I planted the seed. Hmm. He cannot hasten the harvest. Both the spring and the autumn rain must fall before the crop will mature. So when you plant the seed, you have nothing to do with it anymore. Apostolic people like to take credit like they did something. Mainly apostolics. Didn't talk about us. And all we really responsible to do is plant the seed, which is sharing the word of God, sharing the word of God, sharing the word of God, water the seed, which is just keep on talking about the word of God. But as far as what the seed does, we have nothing to do with it. It's between the individual that received the seed and Jesus Christ. So it's up to us to plant it and even some watering. But there's nothing we can do after that. We don't control the tree that grows. We don't control how big that tree will be. We don't control what kind of tree it will be. Because once you plant the seed, the seed take care of what the tree will be. <laughs> once he has done what he can do, plant the seed, the farmer must let time produce the results. Likewise, James readers had done what they could do. They honestly labored. And when they were defrauded of their wages, they took the matter to God in prayer rather than taking it into their own hands. Then they had to wait God's timing for results. We got to wait for God's timing for the results. I'm talking to myself now because I'm telling you, I really feel strongly about, I feel like it's time for us to get our building. And I really just every day. It's not a day. There was time where I pray once in a while about it, but I don't think there's a day that go by now that I don't pray about it because I just feel strongly that it's the time. Now, that's just me. Uh, so it's it, it, interesting that I'm teaching this lesson tonight. I, I feel like the Lord hit back and says, just wait. Nothing I can say other than, okay, Lord. Uh-huh. The reason for patience is that the Lord... Or the Lord's coming is near. <laughs> the first century church lived in constant expectation of the Lord's coming. If you read through scripture, you'll see everybody thought God was coming in their time. <laughs> Since God chose not to reveal the time of, of, of the event of his coming, believers of all ages have been right to anticipate it in their day. I like that. Listen to this. Had God revealed the time, only those who lived in the era of, the, uh, of, of what, when it was prophesied, the time that was prophesied, could have had a joyous hope 
of his soon appearing. You understand that? So if we knew when God was coming to the earth to receive us, said he said he was coming uh, Easter. I think he's going to come on an Easter Sunday. Well, early Saturday morning. That's just me. I'm just, I, I, listen, don't go say I preach, preach, preach false doctrine because there's nowhere in the Bible it says when he's coming back. But I think he's going to come one early Sunday morning, which is the first day of the week, which is after the seventh day on an Easter Sunday. If you're not right at like six o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday morning, you're never going to be right. You won't be able to say anything about, well, God, well, what? We talking about Good Friday. We talking about Saturday. And, and you couldn't be ready. I, that's just my belief. I think Jesus is coming back on the Easter Sunday. Just me, 6 in the morning on Easter Sunday. And if we can't be ready on Easter Sunday at 6 in the morning, we have no excuse. Remember what I told you. Easter week is the, is the most religious week in the world. Of any time, Easter week, the most, because every religion is celebrating something of some kind of religious thing during that week. So if we can't get it together on that Easter Sunday, whatever that is, we in a lot of trouble. (laughs) The five wise virgins had the joyous, the the, the joy of participating in the bridegroom. The, the, The bottom line is, if we knew, we wouldn't have a good time. Because we will be like, well, he ain't coming. By the time he come back, I'll be dead. So there's nothing for me to celebrate. And the people that's born, and they can see that day, and they're, you know, seeing like, man, yeah, I can, yeah. They start getting joyous and happy, and all the ones that won't see the day will be upset. So God knows everything. He says, I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. So everybody can have an expectation of me coming back, but they will never know when. And so many will die with that expectation, but it don't change the fact that he's coming back. He just won't tell us when. So we all can enjoy it. But you see how we, we get twisted. God is doing it so we can be joyous and look forward to it. We get mad and said, I don't see why that's, I can't see how that's good. When it don't go our way, we can't see why that's good. But God is all knowing. Last scripture. They were prepared to wait however long it took for him to arrive. These are the five wise um, versions. They, they, they were prepared to, 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 to wait for him no matter how long it takes. But while they're waiting, they're waiting and developing patience and their faith is working also. And that's what God is expecting from all of us, that we will develop patience And our faith will grow stronger in him while we're waiting. Unfortunately, many people are waiting and getting weaker or getting lukewarm or getting almost not caring about the return, forgetting that God's return is at hand. But God's return is at hand. There there were times where we could look at the time and say, there's no way possible that God can return. How can you say that, preacher? Because there's a scripture that says, and this gospel must be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. Well, the Amazon jungle wasn't always discovered. 
And we can go to many, many other situations and places where it was not discovered 20 years, 30 years, 50 years ago. So he couldn't come then. But I think we might be at a time and place in this world where we know where every living being is on this earth. So with satellite, with Google, with, with missionaries that's traveling all over the world, I think we know where every living human is. So that scripture can be fulfilled any time now. We just don't know when it will be. But it says that this gospel must be preached in all the world before the end could come. Well, I think that it can come any, it can come any day because I believe that we do know where everybody is in this world. I believe we have sent missionaries in every place in the earth. So it means that Jesus can return any day now. 50 years ago, that wasn't possible. Patience is a valuable virtue. Only those who endure will receive God's promise. Hebrews last scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 36 through 39. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live. It says live. It didn't say the just shall live by need. <laughs> we keep on going around gallivanting, thinking God got to do it because he knows my situation. He knows everybody's situation. And he won't do anything until we respond to him in faith. Huh. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, huh, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. You know what drawback is? You started out believing, expecting his return, and then because he don't return when you think he should return, you start behaving differently. You draw him back. God says what we just read here, that his soul shall not have pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So when you believe and you continue believing, you will save your soul. But the day you stop believing, no pleasure. I'm going to tell you a little story. Let me finish up with this story. At the end of six years in Ghana, the training center, national offices, and headquarters church were constructed and dedicated, but a disgruntled pastor tried to mar the success of the work. So it took six years uh, to build this really nice church in Ghana. The UPCI had built a really nice church over there. Um, really nice facility and they dedicated it but a disgruntled pastor tried to mar the success of the work 
Jealous and discontented, he began to whisper grievances to others, to other pastors. Some listened. Discontent turned to bitterness, and the pastor and a few of his backers filed charges with the police and the government against Robert Rodenbush. I know this gentleman, top-notch guy. They, they, they filed a grievance against Robert Rodenbush and the National Board of the UPCI of Ghana. They intended to get the Rodenbush family expelled from the country. One day, a loyal pastor appeared at the Rodenbush's home. Robert was at the Bible College, and Evangeline, his wife, was home with their son, Rob. I have come to tell you that you and the reverend <laughs> might want to consider leaving Ghana for a while. I have heard that there are serious threats against you, including a price on Reverend's head. I can't confirm it, but I have come with a warning. In Ghana, in those days, such threats were more than just idle words. Evangeline was fearful, but she was without a car or means to communicate with her husband. She asked the neighbor her neighbor's wife, to take Rob and her to the Bible college. This news was a hard blow to Robert. He not only had himself to consider, but also the safety of his wife and son. They got in their car and headed home. Both felt fear, anger, and bitterness of betrayal in this dangerous situation. As they drove and talked about it, and say, what should we do? Tears ran down Robert's face. Honey, do you want to know how I really feel? This is Robert asking his wife. I am not feeling like we should leave right now. God is able to protect us, as he always has. But if he doesn't, so be it. This is not a story. This is real life. My work here is not finished, so I am willing to face whatever comes. I could send you and Rob to Liberia if you want to, but as for right now, let's just sit tight and trust the Lord. Evangeline trembled, but she couldn't have been prouder of her husband. She saw him as a true Christian man, strong, brave, and committed. She was awed by his courage and trusted his instincts. They stayed, even with all the threats and all the situation. There were difficult days ahead. One night during this trial, Evangeline had a dream. She had gone to sleep begging God to open a door for them to leave Ghana. So you're catching the drift. Husband is like, I'm trusting God. Wife supported him, but deep down, I just want to get out of here. Because, you know, she's thinking about her baby boy. <laughs> Husband, I, you can handle yourself. I know you're strong. I love you. And, you know, yeah, I want you to be protected. But my baby boy? Oh, no. So she went to sleep. God opened a door for them, for us to leave Ghana so we can get out of here. In her dream, in her dream. She heard someone singing a beautiful voice, an old hymn, 
in her dream. This is the song. This is the, the words of the song. Not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go. For who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord will choose for me. Tis better far I know. So let him bid me go or stay. When she awoke, the overwhelming desire to leave Ghana was gone and new courage filled her heart. Because her husband stood and says, no, baby. God had to touch her in a special way for her to say, all right. She was willing to stay. God answered prayers in an unexpected way. So she was praying that God would make a way for them to leave. God answered her prayer by saying, no, you're staying. We got to be keen of stuff like that, that sometimes we pray certain things from God for him to do, and he does the opposite. But we can't see the opposite because we were so locked in on what he wants for us. During their first term in Ghana, Evangeline had entered the local hospital for a medical procedure. While visiting his wife, Robert visited with a visited with and prayed for another female patient whom he did not know. That woman quickly recovered, but she never forgot the American missionary who had prayed for her. Later, her husband became president of Ghana. When the small group of pastors who had turned against the Rodenbushes uh, took their case to the president's office to try to get the Rodenbushes deported, events took an unexpected turn. The president somehow remembered the name Rodenbush. It was the name of the missionary who had prayed for his wife. He was not about to deport him from the country. He told the disgruntled pastors, this is my wife's missionary. Leave them alone. That ended the crisis and the oppression. It is worthy to note that a few years later, the pastor who had caused so much trouble apologized to the Rodenbushes and begged for forgiveness. There's a lot to unpack to that story, but the moral is what you may think is the will of God may not be the will of God. And sometimes, many times, oftentimes, God wants you to endure and go through tough times as opposed to get you out of a situation where it's all easy. Oh, woo, I got out of there. And God is saying, no, because look at the hand of God and the glory of God. It is so deep. We don't know if that pastor would have ever made, got his life right. He was pastoring, but his, his life wasn't right. Because he was going to tell people to get out of the country. What they really wanted to do was take the church over. The Americans came and built the church. They wanted to run them out and take it over and do whatever they want. So their heart wasn't right. And God entered the situation. He made sure that uh, the road bushes didn't leave. He put people in high places that was going to step in. But president of Ghana. President said, no, that's my wife's missionary. I can't let them go. And so they stayed. President was touched, president wife was touched, and all those corrupted pastors, their heart had to get right because they looked and saw, this man has favor with God. Rodenbushes had favor with God. And so they had to get themselves right, and they repented of their sins and asked for forgiveness. Everybody got right because when God gets in a situation, he works it. But you can't think that it's going to be the easy way. We can't just think that God is going to work it out the easy way. Patience 
is going to cause us to go through some tribulations to have patience. So trust God and let God work in your situation and work in your life no matter how long it takes. Any questions? All good? Oh. oh. I didn't know you had any questions. Go ahead. We can we can we can take care of some of the other questions after we dismiss. We won't keep everybody for all your questions, but we'll we'll take a question or two like Faith don't mean God has to respond. It means that's the only way he responds. But it don't mean he has to respond. Why? He's all-knowing and he's loving. So what you think he needs to respond to, he don't need to respond to it so that he just didn't respond. So faith is the way he will respond when he wants to respond. Because he doesn't have to always respond, you know. And, and, and you know, we do that. You'll learn this in a little bit when you all have kids. Sometimes the kids ask you a question, and you just ignore them. Don't even say one word to them. <laughs> Some of you that have kids, you know how I go, why? <laughs> no, I'm not saying one word. Leave them alone. They keep saying why. Because I know, and you don't. I, and I don't have to explain everything to you, because I know you don't. Well, God does it like that. We, we, we want a response, and he's like, you couldn't handle the response anyway, so I'm just going to ignore you. So he will respond to faith. That's the way he responds. But it doesn't mean when you don't respond that it wasn't faith. Because that's, that's what we want to think a lot of times. Well, I, I must not have faith. He didn't respond. No, he chose not to respond to you. Don't mean you don't have faith. We just got to let God be God. That's really what it comes down. We just got to let him be God. And when he's being God, he determines what he responds to, when he responds. And if he don't want to respond, he won't respond. And we just have to be okay with that. One last one, Sister Asker, or are you done? We, we catch every, you want to do all the other ones offline, or you got one more? That's, you got one that re- pertains to the lesson? All right, go ahead. Yes, yes. Yes. What's our position right now in our relationship with Christ? Yes, we're betrothed to him right now. Yeah, which which is still, remember what I said, which which is still, it's it's far more superior than engagement. It's it's really a done deal. It's just left for the the, the ceremony to take place. You know, let me give you another example about that. This is because this is deep. You remember my man Cornelius. Cornelius, in my opinion, apostolics probably stole me for saying this. Cornelius, in my opinion, was saved, but he needed to go through the formality. The Bible says he prayed all the time. He gave alms. He did everything. His heart was right, but he didn't know that he wasn't baptized and he wasn't filled with the spirit. That ceremony got to take place. And this is what we got to learn from day number one. Go back and read in the scripture from back in the day in the scripture. When someone was circumcised, there was always a ceremony. So anytime you enter into covenant, anytime you enter into that, there's always a ceremony that follows. So 
We haven't had our ceremony yet, but we're binding. We're in a binding situation with the Lord that he can't break and we can't break. But the ceremony hasn't taken place. And I believe the same thing with Cornelius, that the ceremony of baptism and being filled with the Spirit had not taken place. But his position in God was right. Now, apostolics have stoned me for saying that, but I know what I'm talking about. That's word. That's not something I made up. That's word. The ceremony have to take place. So you can't say I'm saved without it. Because there's proof in the scripture that even though you believe and you're convinced and you're there and you're living that life, God still requires the ceremony. This is why we're going to have the marriage. He still requires the ceremony. <laughs> he still requires the ceremony. And we will experience that ceremony in heaven. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna experience it. When, we, when we're born again, that's the ceremony. The baptism and being filled. We, we got to have the ceremony. There's always a ceremony for, for, for that commitment, that, that covenant, that contract. There's always a ceremony there. Yes. Any other questions? No? All right. Father, we love you. Great is your faithfulness. There is none like you. You are the king eternally mortal, the only wise God, the only true and living God. Heaven is your throne. Earth is your footstool. God, we are in awe of you. Lord, no matter how long.